We encourage you to open your Bibles to John chapter number 3. If you don't happen to have a Bible, if you look down in the rack in the chair in front of you, we have provided Bibles, and we encourage you to take one and open it to the Gospel of John in the third chapter. John chapter number 3. Our theme this year at White Oak Baptist Church is love works. There's a double meaning there. Uh, love works in that if we allow it, boy, it, it, will, it will make all the changes in our life that we need. But also, love gets to work. And if you really do love others, you, you will get to work and share that love uh, with the world around you. And so we're going to continue our series this morning, The Power of Love. And we've talked all about love this year. We've looked at who we're supposed to love and what it means to love God's way and what happens when we get under the spout where God's love comes out. Some pretty powerful things happen. Last week, we be, or rather two weeks ago, we began this series by looking at love cleanses. And today, we're going to look at yet another angle of the power of God's love. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 15 down through verse number 18. And I'll begin in verse 15 by myself, and then we'll read verse 16 and 18 together. So I'll read the odd verses, and as a group, we'll read the even-numbered verses. The Bible says in verse 15 that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you would, turn in your Bibles just a few chapters over to chapter 15. John chapter 15, and let's look at verse 13. Another familiar verse, but one that is very applicable to the message today. Let's read verse 13 together. Ready? Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Again, we'll continue our series, The Power of Love, and today we'll look at this topic, Love Converts. Love Converts. Let's pray together. Lord, help us as we look at a very vital and important truth. Lord, I'm thankful for the day that your love reached down and changed my life. Not just my physical life, my eternal life. Lord, there may be a person or two here who's not yet experienced that conversion, that transformation that comes as a result of the greatest act of love ever showed to mankind. And so, Lord, if there's someone here who's not yet exercised their faith, their heart faith in you, may today be the day that that happens. And then, Lord, for those watching online and those here in the room that have put their faith in you, help us, Lord, to allow that love to continue to convert us into who you want us to be. Thank you, God, for caring for us and loving us so deeply as we take a few minutes today and focus on this and, Lord, some other topics that are tough in nature. Help us to handle it with the spirit of grace. Give us a listening ear and a discerning heart. And may we make decisions for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Before I get into my message, I just want to take a moment and say we are excited that at the end of the service today, we have four baptisms. And so our service today is going to go 
longer than normal. Uh, the sermon I have prepared, I, if I was going to let you out in an hour, which is what we were trying to do, if I was preaching a sermon that, uh, that would fit that, I'd be done in about 30 minutes. Uh, my sermon's going to take about 35 to 40 minutes, and we have a baptism on the heels of that. So I just want to prepare the crowd mentally for what we have ha- happening. Please don't clock watch. Amen? Uh, try to stay engaged in the sermon and uh, let God uh, speak to you today. The word convert. Convert. What does that word mean? Well, it means this. It means to change something or someone into a different form uh, or properties. Uh, it means to transmute or to transform. When I lived in Maryland, um, wonderful Maryland, uh, I was a home inspector for a short time, and I'd go in and inspect foreclosed homes. It was one of the things I did to make ends meet. And what was popular, at least in western Maryland, where I lived for a short time, is they would take a garage and convert it into a bedroom. Anybody here ever seen something like that done? A garage converted into a bedroom. That idea of converting is to take something that has one purpose and turn it into something else with a different purpose. And when I talk about convert today, I'm not talking about a lateral conversion. I'm not even talking about a step-down conversion. I'm talking about the love of God converting us into something far better and far greater than we could ever hope for or imagine. Um, What happens when someone believes that they are truly loved? I mean, loved passionately, loved consistently, loved unconditionally. It's, it's my strong opinion that many criminal acts happen because the one committing the act doesn't truly feel loved by someone or many someones. Many times, not every time, but many times depressed people live in their slump because they just don't truly feel loved. Many children grow up and become dysfunctional. Because they grew up in a home where they really didn't feel loved. The world is riddled with sin. And sin is anything I say, anything I think, anything I do that breaks the laws of God. Breaks God's moral code. His moral law. Someone may be sitting here or watching online today and thinking, well, who does God think He is to create the moral law? He's God. He created all this. He gets to make the rules. You don't have to like it. You just have to abide by it. Be a happy day when you come off your high horse and you quit questioning God and acting arrogant against Him. Well, humility is key here. But this world is riddled with sin, and these acts scream selfishness. These acts scream anger. This sin screams hatred in the world. These deeds, these sinful deeds, cause others to feel as though they are not loved. Look around our world today. Boy, it feels as though from a moral standpoint and even on some level, a physical standpoint, the world is on fire. The world is burning around us. 
Why? Because sin causes strife. Sin causes brokenness. Sin causes anger and hatred. And sin brings, a, 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 sin brings about in the heart of mankind bitterness. Now, between the sermon this morning and this evening, I'm going to touch a whole bunch of hot-button issues. I'm going to talk about things that are very relevant in the culture today. And I hope that as I do this, I'm going to ask a couple of things first. Number one, remember we are called to show grace. All right? So if you don't like something I say, swallow hard and ask God to give you grace my direction. And I will ask God to give me grace your direction. I don't plan on saying anything to offend anybody today. I didn't write the sermon for the purpose of offending someone. However, if you're living in sin, your sin is offensive. And if I preach against sin, you ought to be offended. Amen? The second thing I'm going to say is, do not walk out of here and misquote me. Listen very carefully and make sure you understand what's said. And if you don't think you understand, I promise we will not delete the recording off of YouTube. You can go back and watch it again and get proper context, okay? But uh, let's, um, let's handle this as mature Christians. All right. Brokenness, anger, hatred, bitterness. The world is full with it. Let me take one topic in particular that's a hot-button issue right now. That's the word racism. That word gets flung around left and right. Um, it's become quite the buzzword as of late. Many people in our world throw the world around way too loosely. And it's become this word where if, if someone doesn't agree with your particular point of view, then you slap the word racism on them. Look how far we've gone with this. Somebody can be sitting at a red light with their window down and their hand hanging out the window. And if they're not watching exactly how they'll hold their fingers, somebody can take a picture of them, post it on social media, and get them fired from their job because they're quote-unquote racist. That's happened. That's happened. Um, what is racism? Racism is the act that accompanies a philosophy that one's personal race is inferior to another's race. Another way to define racism, racism is the belief that one particular race is inferior, or rather, uh, rather right, is inferior to everyone else's race. So it's the strategy that my race is better than everyone else's or your race is less than everyone else's. I'm just going to call racism what it is right here, right now. Racism is a sin. It is a sin. If you can look at someone else whose skin happens to be a lighter or darker shade of brown than yours and think that they're more or less than you, something is broke in your head. Something is broke in your head. Why would we divide amongst racial lines? That doesn't please the Lord. 
Take your Bibles and turn over to Revelation chapter 5 for me. Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 9. By the way, Satan loves to use racism to divide us. He loves to use anything to divide us because he is the king of division. He is the king of division. And anything he can do to divide us, he'll do. And, and so uh, if, if you are here today and you're struggling with the idea that you're, someone is above you or below you based on the color of their skin, I want you to read Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Now here, the church has been raptured. They're in the presence of God. Uh, the, the book is going to be open or has been opened by the Lamb of glory. We sang about a few minutes ago, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Look at verse 9. And they, this is the raptured church, sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. My friend, we are all going to stand together in heaven as one large melting pot. There will be people from all over the world who come from all sorts of different cultures and backgrounds and colors and, and, and wealth classes. And we're all going to stand together in heaven, all of us as diverse as we are, and we're going to sing and praise the Lamb of glory. And you know what? You're not going to care what color the person is standing next to you at that time. You're not going to be racist in heaven. You might as well not be racist on planet earth. It's time we set all that to the side. Now, I'm not a politician. I'm not going to stand up here and outline how we repair all the damage done in this world. But I will tell you as a preacher, the answer to heal this land and the racial divides in this land is that Christians stand up and love each other. If you were to pick someone who is different than you in color and you were to say, I'm going to love you unconditionally, I'm going to love you consistently, and I'm going to love you passionately, boy, if all the Christians in America would stand up and do that, racism would go away pretty quick. We're too busy guarding our own and protecting our own. And my friend, this is a sign of a broken world that needs the conversion of God's love. Of God's love. Well, in, in, in my experience here in New England, I don't see, I don't see, at least here at White Oak Baptist Church, I don't sense much division over color of skin. There might be some isolated cases. It might have happened here and there. It might be more passive-aggressive and subtle in nature and just slid under my nose. I don't want to discount that or say it's never happened or that it can't happen because obviously it can. But can I tell you what I do see that happens in New England a lot? And that is wealth class. We treat people different depending on their wealth. You you could have a black family walk into our church, and as long as they're dressed well and look like they have money, boy, they get treated quite well. But you have some disheveled white dude walk in the back door who has, you know, looks like he hasn't bathed in a couple days, and... He's, uh, his, his, his clothes aren't, are taken care of and his breath stinks and, you know, his teeth are yellow and he walks in and he sits down in the chair and sort of slumps down. And I'm not saying we do it on purpose, but if we're not careful, we'll push that person away because it's clear they don't have a lot of money. Can I tell you, they may not have a lot of money. They need the love of God just like you do. They need you to show them the love of God. They need me to show them the love of God. And let's not just go, I'm going to love on people that are like me. No, let's go out of a way to love on people that are not like us. 
You see someone who maybe uh, has some rough edges around them. Boy, let's love on them. Why? Because the love of God is powerful. And we get under the spout where God's love flows out, and we experience the power of how it converts us into what God wants us to be, and then we go get others and we bring them under that same love. Really, we become the vehicle that God uses to love them. When the world sees the love of God converting our brokenness into something beautiful, then they will come looking for what we have found. Two weeks ago, we began this series by looking at how God's love cleanses. Today, we'll continue the series by looking at how God's love converts. Let's look at four thoughts this morning. If you've got a bulletin, on the back of that bulletin, there's a fill-in-the-blank outline. I encourage you to fill in those blanks as we go, and you can take the notes home and look at them even uh, deeper and do a Bible study. Number one, notice, love converts the condemned into the claimed. The condemned into the claimed. Look at John chapter 3, and look at verse 15 with me together. It says, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Notice this next part, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There is a fallacy that is taught in many religious circles. There is a false doctrine or a false teaching that permeates a lot of religions, and here it is. People want to teach and believe that uh, we're all the children of God. No, we're not. You are not born a child of God. Now, you are born the creation of God, but you are not born a child of God. You are born condemned. You are born under a sin curse. You say, well, pastor, how was I born under a sin curse? Um, uh, you can write this down, a reference down later to look at, but Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man, this is speaking of Adam, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Uh, what is, what is, uh, uh, how did we get born under the sin curse? Well, our great, great, great grandfather named Adam, the first man ever to live with his wife Eve, the first woman to ever live, they were given a moral free will choice. God put a tree in the Garden of Eden and said, you can eat of any fruit, tr- uh, fruit tree you want, don't eat of that one. Some would say, well, if God loved Adam and Eve, why did he give them the choice? The answer is because he wanted them to make a moral choice to love him back. You see, every day Adam and Eve walked past that tree and didn't eat the fruit. They were choosing God over wrong. But there came a day where they chose wrong over God. And they plunged humanity under a sin curse. Boy, we're all pretty good at focusing on how good we are, but have you ever stopped to realize how sinful you are? Boy, we sin and don't even know we're sinning. We break the moral laws of God every day, most of us, and uh, if not every day, almost every day, and usually several times in a day, and we do wrong, and we have stymied ourselves, we have filthied ourselves, we have soiled ourselves with sin, and God looks at us and says, I can't even look at you because you're my creation, yes, but you're covered in sin, and as long as that sin lays on your record, you are condemned to spend eternity separated from me. 
And someone says, but if God loves me, what's the answer? And the answer is, God has created a way to forgive you of your sins. You're in John 3. Turn back just a couple of pages to John chapter 1. And look at verse number 12. How does a person go from being condemned and really fatherless when it comes to eternal when it comes to eternal talk, heavenly talk, to being claimed by God. I don't know about you, I don't want to be that person that's on the broad path that has that steep drop off into hell at death. I want to be that guy from Matthew chapter, is it chapter 7 I believe, yes, um, Matthew 7 verse 13 and 14, that's on the narrow path that leads to heaven. So how do I get converted from condemned into Claim. Boy, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Um, uh, The the, the title of the sermon today is Love Converts. If you are a Spanish speaker or you have a Spanish Bible, that word become in your Spanish Bible is the word convertir or to convert, to convert is converted into the sons of God. Isn't that great? That we go from being condemned to converted. Condemned into claimed. Fatherless when it comes to our eternal destination, to where the God of all glory, who created us, then adopts us into His family. What is necessary for us to be claimed. What must we do to be claimed by God? Verse 12 lays it out there for us. Even to them that go to church in His name. Is that what it says? Even to them that are Catholic in His name. Even to them that are Baptist in His name. I, that's not what my Bible says. Even to them that live a moral life in His name. No, even to them that believe. In His name. How are we adopted? How are we converted into the children of God? By believing that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He died a sinless death on the cross. He became our sin on the cross. Our sin killed Him on that cross. The God-man was laid in the grave. Three days later, He stood up from the dead. He's alive forevermore. And He's waiting to save your soul. Boy, love is so powerful. It can convert us. Turn back over to John chapter 3, if you will, and look with me at verse number 16. Notice that halfway through the verse it says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Look down at verse number 18. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Okay, pastor, why should I believe in Jesus? Okay, I see that that's what the Bible says. But sell me, pastor. Why should I actually put my faith and trust in Christ? That that question is answered in the beginning of verse 16. When it says this, For God so loved the world. You know, I could put my name there. For God so loved Richard that he gave his only begotten son that if Richard will believe in him, Richard shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know, your name fits in there just like mine does. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter what country you were born in or what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what society has labeled you or not labeled you. It doesn't matter what religion you grew up in or even if you grew up without a religion. If you will accept God's love and believe in Him, 
He'll give you the gift called everlasting life. I want you to take a moment and do this exercise with me. Take a moment and think through the people that you trust the most. Who is that? Maybe just in your head right now, come up with a list of people you trust the most. If your life, you had to put your life in someone's hands and they had to do something largely inconvenient and largely accurate, very accurate to keep you alive, there's probably just a small, tight-knit group of people that you trust enough. Maybe you have children and you're going to die or you know you're going to die. Who is it that you would turn those young children over to raise? Well, you'd have to really trust that person. You know who you trust? I can tell you who you trust. You trust the people that you know deeply love you. Love earns trust. Boy, if you're taking notes, would you write that down? Love earns trust. The deeper I know someone loves me, the more willing I am to trust them. How much does God love you? How much does God love you? He loves you so much. He was willing to look all through heaven and choose His only begotten Son and allow Him to die a cruel death on a cross for you. I've got an 11-year-old son. I can't imagine anyone I would let that boy go to the cross for. Especially an unrighteous man. A filthy criminal. God looked down at you and He saw you and your condemned state. And He said, I have every right to send such and such to hell because they're living in unrighteousness and sin and ungodliness and they've broken my moral law and I'm God and I created the system and if I want to send them to hell, I have every right to do that. But I don't want to send them to hell because I love them and I love them so much I'm going to give up my son to show them I love them. Boy, how can you so selfishly look up at the cross of Christ and see Him dying up there for you and say, that symbol of love for me, I'm going to reject. I'm going to reject. I'm not going to put my faith in it. Now are you beginning to understand why hell is so hot? You reject God's love, God rejects you. Boy, God's love is offered freely. And He says, I have one requirement for you to go from being condemned to claimed into my family, and here it is. Put your faith in the act of love on the cross. And when we look up at that love, we put our faith in Christ. And this beautiful transformation happens. This beautiful conversion happens. We go from being condemned under the, sin, uh, the, 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 the curse of sin to being claimed into the family of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15 words it this way. It says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba or Daddy, Father, that personal relationship. Number one, we see the power of love. Love converts the condemned into the claim. Number two, we see love converts the broken into the beautiful. The broken into the beautiful. Turn with me, if you will, over to Ephesians chapter 2. If you're in the book of John, that would be to the right in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you get to Philippians and Colossians, you've gone too far. Ephesians chapter number 2. And look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says, I'll begin reading for time, uh, time's sake. 
and you hath he quickened. This is speaking to those that have believed and have been saved. You hath he quickened, hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Your soul was dead. You had no relationship with God. You were an orphan on the spiritual street. And you hath He made alive. He's adopted. He's taken out of being dead in your trespasses and sins. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Look at verse 3. Among whom also we all had our life lifestyle or our conversation in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and whereby nature, uh, the, whereby nature the children of wrath, even as others. Oh, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy... For His great love wherein He loved us. Look at the conversion here. Even when we were dead, we were broken in sins, hath quickened, hath brought alive us together by Christ. By grace you're saved. With Christ, by grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Boy, we were broken. Sin had shattered us. Oh, we did our best to, uh, to, to, to make ourselves look good, and we did our best to make sin look cool, and we made our best to, to mask and cover all the consequences of sin, but if we're just honest this morning before you got saved, you were just broken, and sin was running its, its, its course in your life, and you had the cancerous sin that was, had infected you and was hurting you, and boy, you maybe had some good days and some fun days, but your life was filled with brokenness and pain, and then the grace of God swooped in and it touched your life and He took you from being broke, broken and He started the process of making you beautiful. Now, uh, as a man, I have no hope of ever being physically beautiful. Amen? All of us men, we are ugly. That's my strong opinion. You're a guy in here, you think you look good. I'm sorry. I've never met a man that looks good, okay? I've got a beautiful wife and I think women are pretty, but men, we ain't got a shot. Amen? We may not be beautiful outwardly, but we sure can be beautiful in the eyes of God spiritually. We can go from being broken to being beautiful. The story is told about a man named John Wesley. Back in the 1800s, he was a, uh, maybe even before that, but back several hundred years ago, he was a, a uh, preacher. He traveled around, a circuit riding preacher, preaching in different churches. And one day after he finished his service, he got on his horse, and as he's riding down the road, a looter stopped him and robbed him, and uh, took, took his, uh, took his uh, uh, financial possessions. And as the man was, was, was leaving him on the side of the road, he said to the man, Wait, I have one more thing I'd like to give you. The man paused and, and, and turned in perplexity, looked at him. He said, I want to tell you how you can be a Christian. One day, sir, this lifestyle might catch up to you. And when it does, you need to call out on the name of Jesus and Plea His blood on your life, and He'll give you the gift of eternal life. Years later, Wesley was greeting people after a Sunday service when he was approached by a stranger. It surprised Wesley to learn that this visitor, now a Christian and a successful businessman, was the one who had robbed him years before. I owe it all to you, said the transformed man. Oh, no, my friend. Wesley, came, uh, Wesley exclaimed, You owe me nothing, but to the precious blood of Christ you owe. Because 
That has converted you. That has cleansed you from your sin. When native converts of the island of Madagascar used to present themselves for baptism, it was often asked of them what first led them to becoming a Christian. The answer usually usually was that the changed conduct of others uh, who had become Christians was what first arrested their attention. One man stood up in church and he was asked about why he became a Christian and he was giving a public profession of his faith and he pointed a man on the other side of the room and he said, I used to know that man and I knew that man in his past, he was a thief. And this guy over here was a drunk. And this person over here was very cruel and unkind to their family. He said, now they've all changed. He said, the thief is now an honest man, and the drunkard is sober and respectful, and uh, this, this other person that I knew is now gentle and kind in their home. There must be something in a religion that can work such changes. The converts would say. You know, you, some of you here today, you're saved. You put your faith and trust in Christ to save you. And boy, that's a great first step of being converted. But do you know the process of being converted from broken into beautiful? It can only continue to take place if you're under the spout where God's love flows out. Well, if I'm pushing away from God's love, if I'm rejecting it, if I'm ignoring it, if I want nothing to do with it, if I'm too busy uh, uh, filling the lust of my flesh and the lust of my eyes and living out the pride of life and I'm avoiding God's love and it working in my life, boy, that process of being made beautiful is just put on hold. It's put on hold. Love converts the condemned into the claim. Number two, the broken Into the beautiful, number three, notice, love converts fear into faith. Fear into faith. 1 John chapter 4, turn there with me if you would. 1 John chapter 4. And uh, funny enough, on Sunday evenings, we're going verse by verse through the book of 1 John. And we started that uh, the second week of the year, I believe it was. And uh, we've made it all the way through chapter 4. And this evening will be from verse 17 through 21. So we're going to get to double dip on verse 18 today. We'll look at it in the sermon this morning briefly, and then we'll look at it uh, this evening uh, in the message uh, in greater detail. And this evening, we'll provide proper context to the verse. This morning, I'm just going to speak about the verse a little bit more broadly. Look at verse 18 there. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Satan is the prince and power of this current world. One day, God in heaven will strip that right away from him. But you know, Satan works hard to keep people in chains by causing them to be afraid. That's never been more evident than right now in my lifetime. Boy, I've not seen people as fearful ever in my life as they are right now. The closest thing I can think of in my lifetime to this would be the days and weeks that followed September 11th. Some of you may be old enough to remember uh, World War II, um, or, or at least listening to your parents talk about World War II, and how fearful they were that America would lose its freedom then. But, boy, people are just, today, are just... Fearful in every single way. 
Fear causes many emotional disorders. Fear is one of the tools in the toolboxes, in Satan's toolbox, that gets used quite frequently. Fear causes people to give in to and follow mob rule. Fear causes people to give up their own individual ability to think for themselves. Fear keeps lost people from finding Christ. Fear keeps saved people from sharing Christ with the lost world around them. Fear keeps good people away from speaking up for what they know is right. You may have heard it said that for evil to exist, all that must happen is for good men to keep silent. But why do good men, good men and women keep silent? Oftentimes because they are afraid. I'd like to take a minute and I'd like to address this uh, controversy going on in our culture of mask wearing. Do I have everybody's attention? Everyone piped up when I said that. Two people can put on a mask. And for one, it can be a sin. And for another, not a sin. Person one puts on the mask because they are afraid. They watch the news non-stop. They fill their eyes and ears with coverage that seeks nothing more than to fearmonger. They put on the mask because they are scared out of their mind. They will contract this virus and die. They are in sin. No, not for wearing a mask. They are in sin because they fear this disease more than they are trusting God. Person two puts on the mask because they care for others. They understand that many people around them are fearful. They understand that the mask may on some level offset getting someone else sick. They do not claim to have all the facts or understand all the science. But this person is operating out of a sound mind. While they trust God to keep them safe, they care for their fellow man and fellow woman and want to do their part to look out for the emotional and physical well-being of those around them during this time of hysteria. You see how two people can put on a mask and one person can do it and be in sin and another person can be do it and be walking by faith? Now, I want to just say this here. Um, it, do not get to the place where you're judging or assuming or trying to figure out why someone is wearing a mask. That's not our place. It's our place to, to, uh, to, to pray for the world right now, to pray for our neighbor right now, to be respectful of our neighbor right now, and to care for our neighbor right now. Furthermore, I will add that there are some of you in the room or watching online, you have passionate opinions for masks, and other people have passionate opinions against masks. Can I just encourage everyone not to try to make converts onto their team? Let's not do that. Some of you are, I'm team mask! And someone else says, I'm team anti-mask. And I'm going to create converts. No, I'm going to create converts. Hey, we're playing right into Satan's grip. Satan wants to use this. He'll use anything to divide. Listen, if you see someone in church here and they're not wearing a mask on, you wear your mask and don't you give them a hard time. 
And if you see someone here wearing a mask and you're not wearing a mask, then you don't wear your mask, but you don't give them a hard time and you give them their six to ten feet of space and you be respectful of them and let's show each other the love of Christ. Furthermore, I want to say this. There's fear, there's faith, and then there's just flat foolishness. How many have seen these churches that get together and have sneezing parties? Right? Some of you are like, what? Yeah, they get together and they sneeze all over each other. That's foolish. That's dumb. We ain't doing that here. You will never see an announcement in the bulletin that next Sunday we're going to come and sneeze all over each other. That's just dumb. Okay? But there are churches, not of our stripe, but there are churches that do that. Of course, the following week they're handling rattlesnakes on the platform probably. Uh, but that's just foolish. All right? And so we're not called to, to do things that are foolish. God does not want you to jump off a building and say, I have faith, the Lord will save me. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen? We're not to do things that are foolish, but we are to walk by faith. God hath not given us what? The spirit of fear. But what has He given us? Power, love, and a sound mind. Amen. I have competition this morning. <laughs> fear into faith. Love converts fear into faith. Lastly, notice this. Love con- con- converts the sour into the sweet. Or the bitter into the sweet. When I wrote down the sour to the sweet, I started craving Chinese food. Amen? Sweet and, <laughs> sweet and sour chicken. Um, by the way, if you like Chinese food, frequent their businesses um, and, uh, and eat there. Don't let Chinese food go out of business. Even if you don't like it, I like it, and I don't want them going out of business. Amen? Um, I've done my share. I've done my share. Amen? To keep them in business. I heard of a restaurant in the area called the Wuhan Chinese Restaurant, and they went out of business. And I think we all understand why. But uh, the sour into the sweet. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's finish out the sermon this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 31. God calls each of us to be peacemakers. He calls each of us to defer and prefer one another. He does not call us to, to, to stand up and fight. And um, by the way, the first reaction uh, that you feel is generally your flesh, and it's the one you should not give in to. So make sure that you check your flesh and uh, act according to the Spirit. Look at verse 31 of Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Look here, look at what the power of God's love does. It takes bitterness and it turns it into kindness. It takes wrath and anger and turns it into a tender heart. It takes clamor and evil speaking and malice and turns it into forgiveness. It converts. It changes. It takes someone who is embittered at life and embittered over their past and angry over the way they've been treated and upset over the raw deal they've been handed. And it says, Lord, I'm going to give that to you and I'm going to let your your sweet spirit work in me and through me. You know, oftentimes Christians can get a cold heart toward God and can grow embittered. On October 24th, 2001, a one-year-old, um, uh, uh, a one-year-old Canadian girl named Erica wandered out of her house 
and spent the entire night in the Edmonton winter. When her mother, Layla, found her, Erica appeared to be totally frozen. Her legs were stiff and her body frozen and all signs of life appeared to be gone. Erica was treated at Edmonton's Stollery Children's Health Center where she was resuscitated. To the amazement of all, there appeared to be no signs of brain damage and doctors gave Erica a clear bill of health. Sometimes Christians can get to the place where they're so cold-hearted so bitter and so nasty. Well, you go through a, a, a harsh relationship breakup or you have someone treat you so terribly. or Maybe you're just riddled with baggage from your past that continues to plague your present and your future and you feel anger and wrath and bitterness and this sour spirit welling up in you and God wants to warm your heart. He wants to convert that sour bittered spirit into a spirit that's sweet. I've met my share of Christians. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13 with me and we'll finish there. I've met my share of Christians who are just as sweet and godly as can be. Boy, they don't have an edge to them. They're meek and quiet in their spirit. And, and then you begin to hear their life story and you, your mind is blown and you think, How in the world could you be so kind and caring and loving after life has been so mean and nasty and harsh and unfair to you? And you realize that they've been under the spout where God's love flows out and their sour, bitter spirit has been changed into a sweet, forgiving spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up or proud, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Boy, charity's deferential. Is not easily provoked, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't get angry at the drop of a hat, thinketh no evil. It believes the best in everyone. It gives folks the benefit of the doubt. Look at verse 6. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Does your social media page say that you rejoice in iniquity or truth? Does your gossiping conversations show that you rejoice in iniquity or in truth? Look at verse 7. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never Faileth. Down to verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Boy, the power. The power of love. God's love can take the, the most bittered soul and turn them into the sweetest person. God's love can take someone who lives in tremble and fear and turn them into a person of great faith. God's love can take the condemned who's on their way to hell and claim them to be part of their family. God's love can take a broken life and make it beautiful again. But only if you're under the power of God's love. Some of you here today have broken, bitter, condemned people in your life. 
Are you showing them the love of God? Or are they not seeing the conversion? Well, let's be the Bible the world reads. Let's shine bright for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Pastor, what's the answer to all of the problems going on in the world? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Are you living in the love of God? Do you have a walk with Him? Are you reading your Bible and praying on a daily basis? Are you memorizing Scripture? Are you meditating on the goodness of God? Are you focused on His love for you? Or are you focused on, boy, the strife around you? Some of us would do real well to turn off the news and turn on the Scriptures. Somebody here today may be here and you fit that first category of condemned. You've not yet believed. What are you waiting for? How much more does someone need to do to prove they love you? Well, God gave up His only begotten Son for you because He loved you. He went through hell on earth for you because He loved you. When will you humble your heart and accept the Jesus who became your sacrifice is your only way to heaven and you must believe in Him? What are you waiting for? Well, why don't you make that decision today? as the Spirit leads and guides you, that knocking on your heart's door, why don't you answer that call today? How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I've not yet put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to take my sins away. I don't know that I've been claimed. I think I'm probably still condemned. But Pastor Lejeune, I'm ready to put my faith in God's love and let it convert me, transform me.